Thank you for tuning in to Hill Country Fellowship's audio podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired as you listen today. For more information, visit us online at hcfburnett.org. Welcome. It's good to have you here this morning. It's Communion Sunday, so we're going to take communion at the end of my message, and then we're going to worship Jesus uh, as a part of that. I want to kick us off by uh, just giving you a slight update on some stuff that's happening with our, our missionaries in Russia um, hopefully you've been praying for them, and it's just uh, a daily, multiple times daily uh, changes they have to go through. But one of the things that they're seeing more than ever before are people seeking the answer from people who don't seem to be freaking out. Uh, and so this week they had a certain uh, pocket of students from a, a Muslim European nation that decided to come over and hang out and make their own comfort foods uh, full, all of them Muslims. And more than half of them got saved before the night was over. So the old Scott in me would say, take that, Satan. So, uh, and maybe even the new Scott, I don't know. But like, hey, you, you think, you, think you, you win so much, enemy, but you lose nonstop. Uh, you might turn up the pressure. And I don't know what that's like. And I wouldn't want that, honestly. But people are coming to know Jesus and the kingdom of heaven is expanding and hell is decreasing. And that's good news. Uh, So keep praying for them. And if you'd like to know specifics on ways that we can try to help them, because we're trying to come up with unique ways to get them the finances that we normally would send them. They can't get that right now. So we're looking at unique ways. And so if you'd like to know how to pray and and, uh, some specifics or even giving financially, just talk to me or Pastor Jeremy or Pastor Mark. Um, So we're in our series in 1 Peter, uh, stay joyful, uh, stay joyful in the midst of, of a world uh, gone crazy or maybe pressure upon you is really what Peter is saying there. And so our big idea today in looking at 1 Peter chapter 3 all the way through the first few verses of, of chapter 4, um, our big idea is to pursue peace. We're calling it be gracious because that's what Peter is talking about, but we're also talking about pursuing peace, uh, being peaceful, bringing peace into a situation, uh, having that calming presence that, that peace can only give you, and also have that grace for people, showing favor where it isn't even deserved. How many of you are, are, have been saved by Jesus? Yeah. Okay. You were given grace that you didn't deserve. I, I was given grace. Mercy is he removed the punishment you deserved Grace is he gave you things you didn't deserve. Uh, And so Peter's calling us here to show grace to those around us in our lives deeply, uh, in our church life, and then in the the world around us. Uh, So verses uh, 1 through 7 of chapter 3 start off this way. He says, in the same way, you wives. So when he says in the same way, he's continuing the thought that we had from last week about be Jesus. How did Jesus do it? Do it that way. In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Crickets went off in America. (laughs) Then even if some refuse to obey the good news, talking about the husband, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by by observing your pure and reverent lives. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, a calming presence is what he's referring to, which is so precious to God. 
This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They trusted God and accepted the authority of their husbands. For instance, Sarah obeyed her husband Abraham, called him her master. You are her daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. Husbands are next. In the same way, continuing the thought, you husbands must give honor to your wives, treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered or they will be heard. So in the same way, he's keeping that going from from what we talked about last week. He's actually drawing on the design of creation that we read about in the book of, of Genesis the, the creation account of how God made Adam and then he brought Eve out of Adam and that they, uh, she is a, a helpmate and she, she perfects him in, in what he's called to do and then they, they walk as one together. So he's saying, hey, as a, when he's talking specifically to women, as a, as a godly woman helps her husband, the, the Holy Spirit moves through you to bring insight and wisdom and value to your husband. And what man on the planet that's married doesn't want more value, greater insight, and the best wisdom? So, so that's something that, that wives you bring as you live that way. And, and husbands you get as, as they live that way. And then as you in turn live how he calls you to live. So to husbands, he says, in the same way, Peter again goes back to Genesis to tell us how, how men get to be a part of the redemption plan that we see in Genesis after things all fell apart, how it was meant to be in the beginning, and then, and then what God's doing to, to return us to that place, and one day it will be all made new. So he says, honor her, live to understand with shepherding care over her, and your prayers will get heard. You want the easiest way for your prayers not to be heard? Husbands, is don't honor and, and, and don't show understanding. And, and God says, We're, you know what to do, and I, I hear you, but I'm, I'm not really hearing you because you're not hearing me. So there's, a, there's a, a reciprocity there with us living the way we're supposed to as husbands and then, and then uh, our lives and our relationships with God have, being on the same page. So in verses 1 through 7, we see what applies to husbands and wives, but we also see what applies to all of us on planet Earth who follow Jesus, not just the husbands and wives. Imagine applying 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 7, to every aspect of your life. Be devoted to people. Your conduct, your, your interaction, your attitude, uh, that, that peaceful heart, it'll win them over. I mean, he says specifically to women who follow Jesus whose husbands aren't, and that was, that was a large part of uh, the crew he was talking to here, and it still speaks to that today. And he says, hey, your life lived for Jesus and full of peace and, and gracious will win them over to see the truth of, of Jesus Christ. And so in the same way, he says it to all of us, your lives at work, your life students at school, your, your life uh, with maybe with a larger family gathering, whatever it is, wherever it is, and whoever you're around, 
If you live this way, they will see Jesus, that grace. That peace that you pursue will be lived out amongst other people. The pure, godly life that you live impacts people in their deepest souls. You may not see the fruition of it. It might be when you move on or they move on or whatever happens, but that will impact their souls. And then he says, the way you look isn't about the way you look. He's saying, let, let the way you look be derived from who you are in Jesus. There is nothing wrong uh, with, you know, with, with, you know, just the way you look unless that's the way you need people to see you in perfection. If the way you look is meant to be like, look at me, you got problems that Jesus can solve. But if you, if you dress in the, in the you know, most expensive suit in the world and you could give a rip because you love Jesus, that's what he's talking about here. Don't let the world dictate the way you need to be or look or act. Don't derive your value from the world with your shoes and your clothes and your social trends and the styles you live. Peter would say, are you taking your cues from what you see happening around you with how you act and look and what you do? Or is everything derived from Jesus alone? Live humble, submitted lives. And that will show who you belong to you will know your worth is in Jesus alone. And then, and then he even says that, that the, the way you live actually counteracts fear and intimidation that the enemy tries to bring in your life. He's telling husbands and everyone else too, be peaceful and humble. Show great understanding towards others. Honor people. Treat them with tenderness. But Scott, you have no idea that person... I get it. That's what this whole book is about. This whole book is about that person or those people, how they act or how they treat you. That's the whole book of 1 Peter. And so if it's like, I don't get it. You don't get it, Scott. I'm, I might not. God does. And, and Peter certainly did. And he says, not just your wives, not just your husbands, not just your kids, not just your parents, not just your bosses or your employees. Treat everyone with tenderness and, and with grace and with kindness. Even those who, who think and look at life absolutely opposed to you in a way that is destructive to this world. That's a hard one to, to look at. I faced this this week, by the way, and you might face it in five seconds or so when I say it. But I, I was thinking this week and I felt like the Lord said, Scott, how would you be kind and tender and compassionate towards those who think it's okay to murder babies? Because abortion is my number one, sometimes my only voting stance that I look at because no one should kill babies. But when God asked me the question, how would you be tender to them? I'd be like, well, I, they don't, I can't say it. I'd get in trouble. Uh, I don't want to be tender towards them. They murder babies. Let's God, I'm, I'm writing in a world of suffering, in a world that's lost. Some of them don't know any better, still responsible, but don't know any better with their ignorance. And some are, are vehemently opposed to anybody telling them what to do, so they think they have the right to do anything with their bodies at all. And, and, and how are you going to show tenderness and kindness and compassion and grace towards them? 
I'm like, ah, I just, I struggle with that, Jesus. And we're having this conversation, and I felt like he said, what don't they deserve? And I'm like, they don't deserve kindness or understanding or compassion. And he said, give it to them. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> That's grace. Grace is this. You didn't deserve it, and you got it from Jesus. Same with me. I didn't deserve forgiveness. I got it. I didn't deserve eternal life. I got it. I didn't deserve compassion with, with how I acted and lived my life, and I got it. I didn't deserve someone to be kind to me, and I got it. All of that was given to me. And so Peter says, be gracious. Pursue peace. The best way to pursue peace is to be gracious in every setting, in every situation. Does it mean you tell them, oh, it's okay, you do what you do? No. There's that healthy tension, that crazy balance we have to learn between, no, that's wrong, and I'm going to show you grace. And only the Holy Spirit can bring you there. You cannot manufacture that on your own. You might be able to do it in one moment, but you're not going to be able to live it out. So you need the spirit of the living God within you as a, as a born-again believer to help you live that tension balance of, hey, I'm going to stand for life. I'm going to stand for the sanctity of marriage. I'm going to stand for the way God created men, men, women, women, boys, boys, and girls, girls. And yet, when they view something absolutely different, showing them grace, giving them what they don't deserve. If you struggle this week on showing grace to someone, just say, what do they not deserve right now? And your mind might come up with 17 things and then start giving it to them. That is a great, that is a great barometer of where you are in following Jesus and a great challenge to all of us. So all of this that Peter's talking about, it, it plays directly into where he takes us next because he says, hey, husband, first he's on the other side, he says, you know, slaves do this, and you do, you do this towards government, and then wives, you do this, and husbands do this. And then he gets to this place in 1 Peter 3, uh, 8 through 12, and he basically says, really, it's about everyone. Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other, love each other as brothers and sisters. So he's, he's telling us all this stuff because he's really talking about the community, the church, your church life, your church family. And he's saying, because this is where it starts. You get it here, and then as a team, as a family, as, as brothers and sisters, you go and live it out in a broken world. Be tenderhearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't re retaliate with insults when people insult you. But, come on. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. This is what God has called you to do, and he will bless you for it. For the scriptures say, and he quotes Psalm 34, which is largely his, his, uh, you know, his kind of the, the foundation of what he's writing to us in this whole, whole, whole book here in 1 Peter. He says, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. Pursue peace and then keep it going. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right. His ears are open to their prayers, but the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. So he's saying here in these five verses, 8 through 12, bless others, don't curse them. 
Forgive. Don't retaliate. And that can be so tough. Because they may not give a rip that you forgive them. And you probably don't even need to be telling them unless there's an interaction between the two of you about it. You forgive them in your heart and you present that to Jesus and then you keep loving them in spite of their actions. Speak life in their even broken by them situation. Like they broke it, but I'm going to speak life into it even though they brought it upon themselves. Don't pile on the pain. How often have we had opportunity with those maybe that drive us crazy or bug us or that we're vehemently opposed to and they bring pain into their own lives and we want to just be like, ha! The, I mean, that's humanity. And it's even humanity within the heart of a Christian. Like, we struggle with that. But yeah, you've got what you deserved. Don't pile on the pain. Speak life into them is what Peter's telling us. And then he says... In here, be of one mind, brothers and sisters. He's quoting King David when David is telling him, this is how you live life, followers of of God. And and now Peter's saying followers of Jesus. That's what I love about membership and our membership classes coming up after church today. It's about brothers and sisters. It's about being of one mind. It's a family an imperfect family and imperfect sons and daughters brought together in, in the church, which is the bride of Christ. And then we encourage each other. We strengthen each other. We challenge each other. We hold each other accountable. We care for one another. We show compassion. We train one another. And we grow together because none of us can do it on our own. You are not meant to follow Jesus as a lone ranger. You're meant to follow Jesus as a part of a family. This may not be your church home. But if you don't, you know, if you're visiting today, man, be a big part of your your church home. But if you don't have a church home, find a life-giving, spirit-filled, Jesus-following, gospel-honoring church home and call it your own. But they're not perfect. Yes. But I don't think you've ever stopped anything else in life because it wasn't perfect. No, none of us. Anybody love steak in here? Those of us who love steak, have you ever had a steak that wasn't the best? It did not stop me from eating steak. <laughs> I, I might not eat sirloin steak as much. Well, I might have to now uh, with prices. But, you know, okay. It didn't stop me. I played basketball my whole life. And uh, to me, refs were always wrong. Um, that's just me. Uh, it never stopped me from playing basketball. Don't use that dumb excuse from the enemy to not be a part of a church family because it's Jesus' bride. That's his wife that you're downplaying if you're like, yeah, I don't really like Jesus' bride. Hmm. Not going to be a part of it. You're, you're called to be a part of it. And there's blessing there. Then he gets to this, this part in verses 13 through 17 where he's talking about living hope that's lived out loud. And he says, now, who will want to harm you If you're eager to do good, but even if you suffer for doing what's right, God will reward you, will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as your as the Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your Christian hope, be ready, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. So he's saying, hey, people might ask, people might oppose your following of Jesus People might hate your new life. 
Be ready to share why you follow Jesus and what he's done in your life with gentleness and respect, with peace, driving it and grace, speaking it out. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good if that is what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong. Verses 15 and 16 are very powerful verses there. And, and Peter is urging us to, to always be ready to give, to give a reason for the hope that lives within our lives. But it's important it be done, he says there, with, you know, with, with no arrogance, with, with no contempt or no combativeness. I don't, have to, I don't have to fight when I tell about the gospel. I don't have to like, I'm going to defend Jesus because he needs me. No, I, I share the gospel because of what Jesus has done in my life. I share why there's hope living within me. Know the heart of Jesus. Know his salvation that's been offered to you. you if you're not the best theologian in the world, number one, there's only, gotta be, there's only one at a time that can be best uh, on the planet. You might not be the best theologian in the world. You know your story. You know what Jesus did. And most of us, if we're asked about our best friend on planet Earth, we can tell a lot of great things about that best friend. You can tell people about Jesus. That's what he's saying. Tell people about Jesus, why he's your best friend, what he's done in your life. That's the hope that lives within you. Explaining the Trinity in detail so that everyone will understand it perfectly is not the point of following Jesus. And if somebody could do that, great. But that's not the point. It's being able to share the hope that lives within you. And then in verses 18 through 22, we see this victory that Jesus brings. And he says, Christ suffered for our sins once and for all, for all, or once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. He's encouraging us. This is what Jesus did for you and for mankind. So he went and preached to the spirits in prison, those who disobeyed God long ago, when God patiently, when God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat, only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. And that water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you, not by the removing of dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. It is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, Christ has gone to heaven. He is seated in the place of honor next to God. And all his angels and authorities and powers accept his authority. There's a lot going on there, and a lot of it is, is hard to understand. Uh, and, and if you want to talk about it further, I'd love to talk to you about it further. Uh, but here's the, the bottom line. Jesus won, and he lets everyone know it. He won, and he lets everyone know it. And not in a braggadocious like you and I would do it way, in a way that says, I'm the victor. I've always claimed to be the victor. I won the victory. Now follow me into eternity. And that baptism is the outward expression of an inward salvation that happened. We can't show people what happens in our hearts that saved us. Baptism is us showing them. So baptism doesn't save you. It shows people what saved you. And that's what, the, what, what Peter's talking about there. And then finally, in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 4, we read about living gracious. So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had. Be ready to suffer too. For if you suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing 
your own desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. You've had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy, their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties and their terrible worship of idols. Of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do, or maybe even just thoughts and actions and attitudes you once had. But remember, they will have to face God, who will judge everyone, both the living and the dead. That is why the good news was preached to those who are now dead, so that so although they were destined to die like all people, they now live forever with God in the Spirit. Here in a second, our uh, ushers are going to begin to hand out begin to hand out communion. So when you get that, hold on to it. We're going to take it together once everybody uh, gets their communion. But I love that leading us into communion because it says. Hey, these ones were destined to die forever without God. They got saved and, and now they're, they're forever with him. And, and that's what we celebrate with communion. And you might even be here right now and you've never made that decision to follow Jesus. Communion is for those who believe in Jesus, who made the decision to follow Jesus, who've been saved by Jesus and his work on the cross, who've accepted that eternal life. So that's who takes communion. You don't have to be a member here. You have to be a follower of Jesus to take communion. But if you're here and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, place your life in his hands, accept his eternal life offered to you, I encourage you right now just to say, Jesus, I want to follow you. And I want to believe in you. And I want to follow you all the days of my life. And then in a few moments when you take communion, it's the coolest act you could ever do at the, at the moment of salvation is to then take communion and remember what he did on the cross. The, one of the hard things that, that Peter touches on in this whole book is suffering. And the reality of suffering in the world causes so many of us to, or, to question God's existence at all or his heart of, of goodness. We ask questions like, if God's all-powerful and all-loving, why, why is he not willing to just remove suffering all the time why does God allow evil and brokenness to, to keep going? And it's, it's a hard one we ask that question because we don't always get the right answer, especially when we're going through stuff or we know people who are going through stuff. I know this. When we look at the cross and what Jesus went through, which was suffering and pain, the answer to, you know, if God's all-powerful why doesn't he remove suffering? The, the answer will never be because he doesn't love us. The cross shows the love of God. The, the cross shows how far God would go just to be in our presence to save us. He's not a far off distant God. The cross shows a God who came into our world and then lived the life we were called to live and, and just walking on planet earth and then willingly gave his life for us. So it can't be that God doesn't love us it can't be that he's detached from our lives. In fact, really, when we look at the cross, we see Jesus saying, I'll take your struggle so seriously that I'll take all of your struggle and all of your sin and all of your pain upon me. I can take it. I'm Jesus. And I take it willingly and joyfully, the Bible says, because I get you in return. Ultimately, we're told in Revelation 21 that he makes all things new, and that's a beautiful thing to end suffering. But for now, God allows it. 
and we're called to rejoice and persevere in the midst of it. I don't always understand it, and I've never liked pain and suffering, personally. But it does have a purpose in my life. It, it is a part of God's plan in my life. I would assume it's so that I can be purified, similar to gold being purified, and so that He can work through me the things He wants to do that I need to be prepared for, so that I'm purer, being made more pure along the way to do the things He's called me to do. I don't like pain and suffering but it does have a purpose in my life and yours. And I know that Jesus is not immune to it himself. He gets you. He gets me. He understands. The cross. I mean, that was to Rome and to humanity. It was an instrument of pain and shame. To evil, it's an instrument of shame and laughter at, mockery. But in the eyes of God, the cross was an instrument of grace and peace. What a beautiful thought. The world said this is what the cross is. And God said, no. He might endure shame for a moment and take on all that sin. But it's going to bring freedom. It's going to bring mercy. It's going to bring grace. It's going to bring forgiveness to the ones who choose to follow me. So you've got that that bread in your hand, and you've got the cup. I'm going to ask you right now just to take the piece of bread. I feel like this is a good, a good thing for us. I'm going to ask you to actually stand um, when we take communion here. And, you know, the, the bread represents his body that was our substitute on the cross. So the, the cracker you hold in your hand, the bread you hold, it's the substitution of Jesus in your place for a sentence that you couldn't pay. And so today as we take communion and then we're going to take the, the cup in a moment, I'd just like us all to thank him for standing in our place. So if you would just repeat after me before we take this. Jesus, thank you for being my substitute and setting me free. We take this now to remember you, Jesus. So take your, your cracker there. Remember the body given for you. The blood changes eternal destinies. It, it's for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus did not die for a culture or a nation or a society. He died for you, and he died for me. He died for a person, and another person, and another person, a son, a daughter, who had gone wayward, and then he made a way back by offering his blood to be poured out for the forgiveness of sins. So would you repeat after me? Jesus, thank you for spilling your blood so that I could be forgiven for all time. Drink the cup. Now we're going to worship him because he's worthy. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to worship him. I love what, uh, I think it was Charles Spurgeon who said famously, all the theology in the world that I have studied can be summed up in these four words. Jesus died for me.
It's the best theology in the world. Jesus, we thank you for the forgiveness of our sins, for the substitution of your life on the cross. Help us to be ones who, who live pursuing peace and showing grace. Pursuing your peace and showing your grace. Where we struggle to be gracious, help us to look at that person or that couple or that family or that job setting and, and look at what they don't deserve and then say, by the power of the Holy Spirit, help me to give them what they don't deserve, just like you did on the cross. I did not deserve forgiveness. I did not deserve a substitute. You forgave me and you substituted yourself. And now I live free. May we worship you with that understanding. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more sermons and full service replays, visit us online at hcfburnit.org. God bless and have a great week.